This is Bold Dominion, an explainer for state politics in a changing Virginia. I'm Nathan Moore. This week marks the end of some things. Not this podcast. We're, we're still enjoying producing it, and we're going to keep doing it. But this week is the second anniversary of the COVID-19 pandemic, shutting just about everything down, and of all the hardship that came with that. And now, two years in, Virginia and states around the country are transitioning to viewing the pandemic as more of an endemic something to be managed, but that we just live with now. I'm still not sure how I feel about that. This week also marked the end of the 2022 Virginia General Assembly session. Unlike the last two, we had split control of state government this year. Republican Glenn Youngkin took over the governorship from Democrat Ralph Northam. And while the state Senate maintained its slim Democratic majority, the House of Delegates saw a new Republican majority set the agenda. So, did Virginia lawmakers set partisan politics aside? Did they come to thoughtful agreements and craft wise legislation to move the Commonwealth forward? Not really. You already do that, right? But there was some action to be seen. So in this week's episode, the Bold Dominion crew sat down with the guys from Pod Virginia for a special crossover episode. And we're trying something new. We're going to present this year's state government recap in the form of a game show. Well, the General Assembly session is over, and all we have left is the memories and, of course, some audio. So we're going to dig into that audio now and hold a friendly competition between Bold Dominion and Pod Virginia. Now, the rules are pretty simple. Each answer will get you one point or maybe no points, or it doesn't really matter because this is actually just a fun game to talk about the General Assembly session. Is all that clear enough? Uh, it's uh, as clear as my coffee. <laughs> Okay, let's meet the contestants. First up, we've got the host of Bold Dominion, Nathan Moore. Thanks hey, for joining us. Thank you, Michael. We are also joined by the producer of Bold Dominion, Catherine Hansen. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Plus, we're joined by the co-host of Pod Virginia, Thomas Bowman. Thanks for joining us. Great to be back. This is such a surprise. <laughs> Plus, we've got a special person participating in this, our new producer of Pod Virginia, Arian Ballou. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, at the old producer of Full Dominion. Okay, let's get right into this and play the game. Our first bit of audio is from the Speaker of the House of Delegates, Todd Gilbert. He is cheered by those who called for his resignation. Repeatedly cheered by those who called for his resignation. So... I've grown weary of being lectured by matters uh, of race by, by Ralph Northam. That's Speaker Gilbert trashing Governor Ralph Northam after his final State of the Commonwealth address. Now, Speaker Gilbert caused a firestorm by tweeting during the speech, describing Governor Northam as condescendingly lecturing lawmakers because he read what book? Nathan, I'm going to start with you. My guess is uh, uh, it's Beloved by Toni Morrison, since that was uh, what Republicans were all running against uh, as their opponent last fall. It is interesting how Beloved, that Toni Morrison book, actually featured so prominently in the campaign last year and in the session this year. And the Beloved bill actually got through the democratically controlled Senate and is now on the governor's desk. So... So yeah, that's a that's a pretty good guess. Well, and just to explain um, it there, that that bill then would um, uh, basically let parents opt out, uh, opt their kids out of of learning certain subjects, right, or, or or reading certain books that are part of a curriculum otherwise. 
it would require the school division to notify parents when they were going to teach anything with sexually explicit material. So beloved would qualify. If you talk to teachers, though, they will say anytime you have to notify parents, that's kind of a non-starter. So school systems will avoid teaching beloved in favor of teaching something that does not require notification. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like a, it's like a, uh, a way to ban a book without directly banning it. it's like an indirect ban it's like a it's like a like a chilling effect yeah right so um arian blue i'm gonna go to you next what book do you think the speaker might have been talking about there oh geez um beloved's a pretty good guess there i mean that i'd, I'd go with that i some kind of um what are those oh god i'm trying to think of a a, a book by like some white person about uh, how to be a better ally or something like that, but I can't imagine that's it. Catherine Hanson, I'm going to go to you next. What kind of book do you think Speaker Gilbert might have been talking about there in, in terms of what Governor Northam was reading? I'm kind of thinking along the same lines of Arian. Uh, first thing that comes to mind is white fragility, why it's so hard for white people to talk about racism. That's the, that's the one I was thinking of, yes. <laughs> do you think that, that Northam either read that book or should have read read should have read that book i think it's something that governor ralph northam northam probably read and maybe that's why it's being criticized well you know actually if you think about the the blackface scandal as being a fulcrum that sort of changed the direction of the northam administration i would say the sort of post blackface era was sort of organized around that kind of thinking, right? And he tried to make this his legacy, fighting against systemic racism. Uh, in fact, it was th that part of the speech that the speaker was specifically commenting about. So that's that's probably a pretty good guess. It is a good guess. Um, yeah. well, I was just going to jump in there real quick because um, I think that white fragility was another one I thought of. Maybe that's the one that, that Gilbert's referencing. Um, somehow I don't think Todd Gilbert knows a lick about either of those books um in his one tweet you know he he managed to not just basically tell ralph northam to not let the screen door hit his ass on the way out he also managed to show off in one sentence how he really doesn't give a crap about about dealing with racism and thinks that the needs of black virginians should be trivialized so you know i don't think uh gilbert has read ibram kendi or or um uh, or white fragility um or any of the other books but you're right on that on that pivot point with the north administration he um kind of started his, his term as this sort of like all shucks, you know, Virginia politician. And then when that came out, he really did some work, you know, um, and really tried to, to grow as a person. And I really applaud him for that. Thomas Bowman, what book do you think the speaker might have been talking about there? Well, all my time monitoring Twitter has finally paid off, Michael, because the answer is Roots, a much more dated <laughs> reference, which makes more sense for coming from Speaker Todd Gilbert than any of the wonderful guesses, uh, although Beloved was the right era, any of the wonderful guesses uh, that all the other contestants had. Okay. All right. So this game is going well, right? Like <laughs> only one question into it. We've got a great discussion going already. All right. So this session saw a lot of changes in terms of COVID protocol. Here's Senator Siobhan Donovan talking about the plexiglass barriers installed around the Senate desks. I would like this box removed from my desk by Monday. I can remove it myself and I will do that if there's not the manpower to do that. But I, um, 
I think that that is the right thing to do, and I would like to proceed without this box around my desk for the last two weeks of session. I probably wasn't the only person that was hoping that I could watch Senator Senator Donovan rip down that box with her bare hands, although that didn't happen. Instead, the clerk's office removed all those plexiglass barriers, and the Senate started looking like it did in the old days. Now, a question about those plexiglass boxes. Many senators decorated their plastic shields with decals of a specific animal. What was the animal and what is its significance? Arian, I'm going to start with you. I don't know, man, an eagle or something. I'm trying to think of what people who would uh, want those boxes removed to decide to put on it. And uh, given the whole, uh, you know, Amanda Chase's American flag uh, gun bag or whatever it is, that sounds about right for the for uh, for that sort of (laughs) attitude. I don't know. Interesting trivia about eagles is they don't kill their own food. They wait around for other animals to kill their food, and then they they steal the food from them and eat it. And so perhaps that's a a good metaphor for the Senate of Virginia that kind of waits around for whatever the House does and then, you know, steals it and or uh, does its own thing with it. Um, Catherine Hanson, I'm going to go to you next. Um, What animal do you think the senators might have put on their plexiglass shields as kind of a metaphor for this General Assembly session? You know, I don't know if this is the right answer, but I've seen some pictures on Twitter of decals of butterflies on plexiglass shields. Ding, 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 ding. I'll tell you, my guess actually uh, was going to be a kangaroo um, (laughs) because it has a really big pouch. You know, kangaroos have this pouch where they can carry around all kinds of things. They're babies. And I figured that would be a good mascot for lawmakers so that they can continue to hold all the unregulated campaign donations that they receive. Ah, (laughs) Uh, You know, there was a bill earlier this year, we covered it on Bold Dominion, to uh, regulate Dominion, to to prohibit utilities from donating to uh, uh, campaigns in a big way during, um, you know, about things that they would (laughs) be impacted by directly. Um, There is even, of course, that failed. Uh, there was even a bill that was really basic campaign finance reform that would have prohibited lawmakers from using campaign donations for personal expenses. That failed. So it's like, I mean, Virginia is just like completely, the, the lawmakers just love going to that trough and just feeding and feeding and feeding. I, I was going to say perhaps an interesting animal to think about as a metaphor for the Senate would be a shark uh, for a couple reasons. One is Sharks are actually dinosaurs that are still around, and then also they kill, right? I mean, like, the, that's the thing that people know most about sharks is they kill things, which is, of course, what the Senate did with all, most of what came over from the Republican-led House of Delegates. All right, well, moving over to the pandemic, we may be over COVID protocol, but COVID-19 is not done with us yet. As a result, lawmakers heard a number of bills responding to the pandemic, everything from restricting the emergency powers of the governor to allowing local governments to meet virtually. This was discussed in the Senate Health Committee, and Chairwoman Louise Lucas had a hard time handling the situation in the room. Here's part of that audio. I would ask that you will very politely leave the room so that others might come in so that their bill can be heard. Thank you very much. My husband is in the hospital right now. I'm sorry, ma'am. This bill is passed by indefinitely. Could those of you who are here on that bill please leave the room? This is too important of a topic. 
So as you could hear there in the audio, people in that room had somehow come to believe that ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine were some kind of miracle cure. And so that was the conflict you were hearing there in the room, is that the senators had killed the bill uh, allowing doctors to prescribe ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, and the people in the room were very unhappy about it. So let's talk about junk science. If you were going to prescribe a miracle cure for a condition, what would you prescribe and what would the medication accomplish? Thomas Bowen, I'm going to go to you. All right, I would have a miracle cure for generational lead poisoning. So a report just came out in March saying that uh, for all Americans, 54% of the Americans alive in 2015 had, ex had been exposed to dangerous levels of lead as children. That's over 170 million adults now at risk of neurodegenerative diseases like mental illness and uh, uh, lower IQ points and... Uh, it impedes brain development and permanent learning difficulties and, most importantly, behavioral issues. So tell me, does that not explain politics if 54% of Americans have this incredibly toxic, uncurable lead poisoning? <laughs> Again, great answer. Wow, this is uh, Man, this game yeah. is taking uh, going in the directions I hadn't even anticipated. Nathan I, I Moore, hate to, I hate to biologize that uh, this this kind of thing, but it sure would be convenient to think about it if uh, if their brains were literally poisoned. <laughs> <laughs> Nathan Moore, what's your answer on a miracle cure for the General Assembly? Legal weed. <laughs> Uh, no, no, for all, so, for, for, all, for all sorts of ailments. And I'm not actually just uh, talking about the uh, actual um, health uses of cannabis, although there's a lot of research about that. No, there's um, earlier uh, in the session, I, I talked with the Marijuana Justice Executive Director, Chelsea Higgs-Wise, and you know, she talked about a few things that really do need to happen as the state legalizes cannabis to do it in, in a way that, that promotes the Commonwealth, like the people of the Commonwealth, and not just the big money players. Um, the first one is happening. It's stop the harm, you know, stop arresting people for simple possession. And so that that happened, and that's happening. Um, but then she also uh, very much uh, talks about the need to um, continue building this Cannabis Control Authority and uh, Cannabis Equity Reinvestment Fund. Don't just start selling cannabis at ABC stores, but actually have... Um, uh, go into this with our eyes open about how we can uh, redirect uh, the cannabis revenue that the state collects and reinvest that in the people that were directly impacted by the drug war. Um, and so that that those are bills that, that passed when the Democrats held the assembly. And actually, I want to ask you, Michael and Thomas, because you know more about exactly what passed this session. What what happened with this? Is this still how it's going or is that all repealed? Now it's just what's going on? So it's interesting you brought up that idea of using the creation of a new cannabis industry to address the harms created by the war on drugs, because that was actually something the Democrats were really interested in when they were in power, creating social equity licenses. So th there's a lot of money that will that somebody's going to make when marijuana is finally legalized. So the idea behind the social equity licenses is that you give priority licenses, so early licenses, to people who have been arrested on marijuana misdemeanor charges, or even relatives of people who have been arrested and you know, uh, it served time in jail under marijuana misdemeanor charges. The Republicans hated that idea. 
they really did. And they sort of clashed over this. And I actually kind of thought I saw a compromise emerge where they got rid of all the social equity licenses in favor of um, doing licenses for areas that had been economically disadvantaged, uh, which, of course, there's crossover there. So um, that was a compromise that kind of was emerging. But at the end of the day, the Republican caucus just could not see themselves creating an industry for marijuana. So the whole thing went up in smoke. Well, it's time for a short break from this Bold Dominion Pod Virginia crossover episode. We'll be back with more report back from Richmond in a moment. You're listening to Bold Dominion, a state politics explainer for changing Virginia. Visit us online at bolddominion.org. Have a friend who's trying to get into state politics? Well, tell them about this show and then subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are served up. Bold Dominion is a member of Virginia Audio Collective, online at virginiaaudio.org. Check out all the podcasts from the collective, from science to history to music to community affairs. We amplify the voices of people in our community and help them tell stories that matter. You can listen and subscribe at virginiaaudio.org. Well, and now we throw it back to the state politics game show in this special crossover episode with Pod Virginia. All right, now moving on to the environment. Governor Glenn Youngkin wanted to appoint the Trump EPA chief to run Virginia's environmental programs, appearing before a hostile crowd of Senate Democrats on the Environmental Committee. Andrew Wheeler said people just didn't understand what he was up to with the EPA because the media is so awful. They don't report that my number one project for that company was advocating for the Miners Protection Act to shore up the retirement and health care benefits of the United Mine Workers. Okay, so let's bash the media. What's the most dangerous media information out there right now? How is the media getting it wrong? Uh, Or maybe how are some in the media getting it wrong? Thomas Bowman, I'm going to start with you. Sure. Well, immediately offhand, I think uh, Fox News and right-wing media generally, especially the most dangerous misinformation being on COVID, uh, shortly followed thereafter by various right-wing conspiracies being inflamed by the Kremlin, you know, January 6th pretty much a disaster. Um, But on COVID, the pandemic is not over until the World Health Organization says officially that it is over. And until then, uh, a pandemic means that uh, the virus or or the disease evolves in unpredictable ways and um, can, can come and go. So it should be very simple. If pandemic, then wear your mask. If no pandemic, then refer to local authorities. Nathan Moore. What is the most dangerous media misinformation out there right now? Well, Thomas pointed out Fox News, which is certainly the 500-pound gorilla of uh, sort of right-wing misinformation at the national level. You know, the thing is that it wouldn't be so amplified without uh, social media as well and all the shares that that people do in the unchecked way that, that non-facts and, and, frankly, dangerous misinformation does get shared around and, and amplified and, and people start thinking it's real. And I just want to point out to you, you know, this is the way authoritarian uh, regimes thrive is, is, or authoritarian movements is, you know, they, they start pointing out like, oh, that's not real. They, they, they start um, uh, pushing forward different versions of a big lie. And, and it's not so much that people all believe the big lie, but it, they start to, uh, enough people start to think, well, we can't trust any of it. It's all, it's all not true. And when that happens, then the authoritarians just use raw power and it doesn't matter what the facts are. Um, 
it's made possible by social media and and very very well healed um, uh, national outlets like Fox News and others. Wow, uh, Arian Balu, what's your thought on media misinformation? The most dangerous forms of media misinformation. I'd actually say, I mean, so there's a the the con- contemporary is probably the wrong word, but the one that's most concerning to me right now is, I mean, there's a lot going on with this whole Ukraine crisis. Um, obviously, uh, loads of it and and loads of sort of, I mean, in, in an active war zone, the information is is unreliable to say the least uh there was i, I feel like the, the the most critical thing going on right now is um sort of a lack of adequate education on uh in terms of what the the media tends to be doing there was a uh, there was a poll last week uh regarding putting a no-fly zone over ukraine and whether americans supported it and uh when when framed as should we put a no-fly zone over ukraine uh it was two to one in favor of absolutely yes um, and then if you, uh, the secondary follow-up question was, should we put a, a no-fly zone over new Ukraine? If that would be seen as an act of war, which it would be, it would include shooting down, uh, Russian planes if they, uh, entered that airspace, then it flips two to one the other way. Right. And that second part of the discussion, I haven't seen a lot of places in terms of like where most people are getting their news. So that is concerning. <laughs> hmm. Catherine Hansen, what's the most dangerous form of media misinformation out there from your perspective? I think to look at a state level, uh, critical race theory and the state of education policy in Virginia. We recently did an episode on this uh, two weeks ago, and both of our guests let us know that parents have already had avenues to go into schools and discuss what their children are learning. I mean, lesson plans are posted online. I think it's causing a lot of anger and a lot of stir up from parents over an issue that really they've, they've already have an, they have already had an avenue to sort of resolve. All right. So let's move on to our final question. Let's talk about words. Um, how we talk about things influences how we think about them. So social equity license might be a hard sell because the word equity has kind of fallen out of favor with Republicans. Another good example is the Department of Corrections. They say they don't put prisoners in isolated confinement because they don't call it isolated confinement. They call it restrictive housing. And then last summer, they stopped calling it restrictive housing in favor of calling it restorative housing. Kim Bobo at the Virginia Poverty Law Center said this is a debate about language. I think they're playing games with words. They do use restrictive housing. They use restorative housing. They have all these fancy names, but essentially it is still solitary confinement. People are being isolated for long periods of time. The lawmakers, some lawmakers were trying to ban Virginia prisons from having isolated confinement. That issue failed in favor of having a study. They're going to study it, and maybe next year they'll do something. Maybe they, next year they won't. Um, so the concept, isolated confinement, the words isolated confinement, well, that really needs a makeover. But it's not alone. What phrase or name is misleading? Things like right to work. Um, what phrase or words need a makeover, maybe. Nathan Moore, I'm going to start with you. Uh, so there's two that I want to use as a springboard to talk about something else. Right to work is one. Uh, it's really the right to work for less. Um, because what that means when you say right to work is that uh, it basically makes union representation very difficult. Historically and in the present day, unions are pretty much the only thing that workers have to keep from being exploited by their bosses, to keep from working in unsafe conditions. Um, and I will say this all the time, like uh, not saying unions always make good decisions. They are human institutions and they make mistakes, but unions as a concept, unions as a thing that we need in Virginia, I am a hundred percent there. 
Um, so right to work is definitely one that needs a, a makeover. Another one is, is critical race theory or quote divisive concepts. That was a funny one this session. Um, almost like so broad as to be meaningless, whereas critical race theory is so narrow as to be uh, misleading. Um, both of those point to really education policy right now. Um, and really, I want to use this moment just to talk about how Virginia education policy does need to really come around and recognize and, and remember that um, public education in this state is really the foundation and cornerstone of having a democratic society here. Um, I mean, going back to just after the Civil War, it was required by the federal government in Reconstruction for southern states to set up good public education systems because they knew that would actually make democracy possible. And I think we lose sight of that sometimes. Um, and we've got teachers now here throughout the state who are trying to, to do good work. Uh, a lot of them are leaving the field because there is so much ridiculousness and the pay is, is so uh, meager for all the, the difficulties they have to put up with from all sides. There is a crisis in teaching right now where we've got a, a teacher shortages in a lot of regions. I mean, we've got some real systemic problems here. The, uh, the, the fabric that holds together a core institution of our democracy is really fraying. And we gotta, we gotta recognize teacher unions and we gotta uh, you know, respect the field, respect the profession, and let teachers do their damn jobs and do it well, because they're gonna. We train them well and we let them do their thing as professionals. All right. So the Virginia Department of Corrections thinks that isolated confinement needs a makeover. Catherine Henson, what's your thought on a phrase or a word that clearly needs a makeover? Um, I guess maybe this isn't a super recent or relevant one, and I don't necessarily think it needs a makeover so much as to be abolished, but pull yourself up by the bootstraps is not only physically impossible, but sort of places the onus on the individuals to pick themselves up instead of being able to have a government that supports them. So that's that's one that I have a certain issue with. Mm. Thomas Bowman, what's your thought on a word or phrase that needs a makeover? The phrase that most needs to die in Virginia politics is peace in the valley. We've joked about this on our podcast. <laughs> I tell, right. who, who uses that a lot? Tell me more. Well, um, a lot of Virginia legislators on both sides use that a lot. Um, it's a pretty common phrase you'll hear during legislative session to describe when neither uh, when there's no more objections to a particular bill. Here's why it needs to go away because there's there's a famous Prussian military general called Karl von Clausewitz. He said in his treatise on war, uh, "War is politics by other means." So. There can be no peace when politics is war by other means. Uh, and, and if one thing, uh, in the at least since 2016, has been made painfully clear to me, is that the Civil War in America never ended. The Confederates changed their tactics. And so this is a multi-generational story and conflict. Uh, and we cannot let our guard down. We cannot assume that uh, we can't we all just get along that is not how this works. Uh, you fight when neither side can gain sufficient political advantage. Um, oh, I just, I had one more thought, if that's okay. Of course. Uh, one thing that we've heard a lot recently, especially during the General Assembly session, is the Virginia way, this like archaic principle that's hindering a lot of progress, especially in the way of like campaign finance reform. 
Yeah, also really vague, too, because Virginia Way means different things to different people. I mean, almost literally every time I hear that phrase, it's it's used to describe something different than the previous time I heard it. I, I would I would chime in to say the word that I think needs a makeover is the word guardrails. During this session, we heard tons of discussion. This needs guardrails and that needs guardrails and everything needs guardrails. And in fact, Speaker Todd Gilbert made a joke at the very, very end of the session right before they adjourned that he was joking about the bingo cards, you know, like during the General Assembly session, everybody, all the staffers have these bingo cards. And then, you know, as certain things happen, they, you know, they cross off the that square. And so the speaker made a joke um, that the word guardrails was like instant bingo, because everyone, everyone is constantly talking about guardrails all the time. Um, so that uh, that would be my suggestion for a word or a phrase that needs a makeover. All right. Now, I have been dutifully keeping score as we have been playing this game, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, and I've got a winner. I've got a the, I'm going to declare the winner is you, the listener of our crossover podcast for listening to all of our discussion on all these things. I want to say thank you to our contestants. Nathan Moore, the host of Bold Dominion, Catherine Hansen, the producer of Bold Dominion, Thomas Bowman, the co-host of Pod Virginia, and Arian Ballou, the producer of Pod Virginia. Thank you all. Michael, thank you so much for uh, for hosting the show. It's it's uh, been a pleasure to uh, have the crossover. Thanks to the hosts of Pod Virginia, Michael Pope and Thomas Bowman for joining us for this week's episode. Thanks also to Arian Balu, producer of Pod Virginia and former producer of Bold Dominion. And thanks to Bold Dominion's producer and guest this week, Catherine Hansen. We're all pals here. <laughs> My name's Nathan Moore, and I'm the host of Bold Dominion. You can find us online at bolddominion.org. And don't forget to subscribe. It's just a click away. <laughs>